It's time for the big conversations. Telling stories of movers and shakers, of industry giants and daring professionals. It's time for the conversations that change your perspective on life. The kind of conversations that shape entrepreneurs and move careers forward. If you don't know where these conversations are found, we are sending you a GPS. But if you're listening to this voice right now, you are here. Welcome to the Growth Podcast. This is the GPS. Welcome to another edition of the Growth Podcast. Uh, we're so glad you could join us. Uh, welcome back. Um, we really appreciate the support you've given the podcast thus far, and we look forward to more conversations. Um, and we have such another conversation um, that will definitely be worth your time. Um, my fear is we may talk for three hours, but that's okay. Uh, yes, so today on the podcast, I have a very familiar face um, to most of you. Um, this woman is someone that, um, from my description, um, you know, those people that you feel like this is like the model woman, like the model woman, like you have everything right. Like the balance, the perfect woman. Um, and that is my perspective. I know you will either appreciate it or you will even appreciate it more than I do. Um, but I'm talking about, um, the urban evangelist, uh, Mainza, welcome. Thank you, Sui. You look like um, a Mainza. Do I? Yes. What does a Mainza look like? I don't know. <laughs> like me, I guess you're going to say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> that introduction, though, it felt so bloated. The perfection. Huh? Yeah, like, you know those people like, you can do no wrong. Wow. I actually thought I thrived on, you know, putting out my, my flaws and just being very Okay, relatable. when was the last time you fought with someone? Or had an argument with someone? Or you have someone upset you? Or... So that's the thing, though. I'm very good at controlling my response. You see, so a someone person's else actions tell. or a person's words. So not that it's it's driven by perfection, but because I've mastered myself. Mastered yourself. So yes. to master means you put in a lot of effort. You're close to perfection. So because you've mastered it. You're going to park there, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> There's no way of talking you out of that. No, but I get that. But I get yeah, that really. Yeah, um, yeah. People struggle really. Uh, there are some people that just like a fuse anytime and you blow out and you. Actually, and it's, it's progress. So like, you know, the growth podcast, yeah. that growth aspect. So for me, it's it's not about perfection. It's it's more progression than anything. But the more you progress in an area, really, I guess you've kind of, you know, overcome and conquered in that, that area. And I guess you do come to some sort of perfection, but you never arrive really. Yeah. It's so like the a moving goal, target. The goal is eh? not to be perfect. No, no. Yeah. Still a lot of work in progress. Still a lot of work a in progress. A lot. I've got some cards um, for you. I have a lot of them. Aren't you to pick? Really? Aren't okay. You to pick any, 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 okay. Since it's you, aren't you to pick four? Do I pick um, by color or do I literally like, do pick I pick? Whichever, whichever you feel like picking, just pick any three. Uh, wow. Okay. Just pick any three. That's one. One. Get some blue in there. All right. So okay. those, those, these are icebreakers. So they have questions there. So Do there's I, a question and then you answer I, the I question. Should I turn it around? Yeah, turn it around. Okay. Turn it around, uh, read out the question and then, yeah, you okay. can give us I'll an answer. I'll start with that one. What book has had a profound impact on your life and why? I've read so many books, um, but if I were to pick one which has had the most impact on me, and honestly, it, it, it will sound cliche. It will sound like it's a perfect response, 
But it's my, it's my truth. Huh? 5 a.m. club? No, oh, not 5 a.m. club. The Bible. <laughs> <laughs> but you see what I mean, yeah, right? Yeah, I it kind it. of sounds like, oh, come on. We know you love your Bible. Yeah, but it, it has had the most impact on me. There's books that I've read that, of course, make reference to the Bible and break it down in very relatable ways. Uh, most of the books that have had impact on me because I started early on reading, I've been a reader for most of my life. But the ones that I recall, you know, would be by Christian authors because my mother used to collect books. So I'm talking about the likes of Smith Wigglesworth, Miles Monroe, Benny Hinn. But I think Good Morning, Holy Spirit is the book that I've never forgotten because I had a... Um, a physical experience with it. And what I mean by that is I was reading, like I said, Good Morning, Holy Spirit, which talks about the fruit of the spirit and, you know, the gift of speaking in tongues. And for me, that was weird. Like, why do people speak in a strange language at church? Because I grew up in a Pentecostal church um, and my mom would take us to church every Sunday morning. And at some point, like you'd hear someone speak in a language that you, you can't understand. And it was very weird until I read that book and I began to yearn for it as I was turning the pages. I'm like, okay, so this is a real thing. When can I start to speak in tongues, Lord? And so one afternoon while reading that book, I took a nap, Sui, and I dreamt that I was speaking in another language. And then I wake up and I find myself speaking in another language for like a good three minutes I couldn't speak anything else. You're trying to say something, but it's like a different language is flowing out of you. And it scared me so much. So I told my mom and she says, no, this is what's happened. And she explained it to me. I'm like, okay, so I can never doubt this because it's happened to me. I've had a personal experience with it. And so it's the same thing with the Bible. I think once you experience it in a way where God becomes tangible yeah. and you've had a personal encounter with him, it, it, it impacts you in, in a way that it transforms your life. It renews your mind and you become a, a better person than you actually were previously. A whole new person, in fact, if you might ask me. Yeah, made new by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. One down. So sorry to go right into it. Okay, so here's the next one. When was the last time you took a leap of faith and found out you could fly? This one is easy because I've got an event coming up. So that's the last time I took a leap of faith. So it started last year. I decided that I am going to start putting together a women's event called the Truth High Tea. And honestly, you are putting an event together that has a huge budget. You've got no sponsors and you tell yourself it's going to work because God's backing it up. And I'm in my second year running. So I guess there's some flight to it, isn't it? I took off and um, somehow I'm, I'm still soaring where the event is concerned. We'll talk about that a little bit right. more, but let's go to the third one. The third one, describe a time when you needed extreme courage to keep going because others gave up. Hmm. It speaks to a lot in my life. Um, we had a chat in the background about uh, my son who's on the autism spectrum. Um, it takes courage to keep going when you're dealing with something that has no cure. And um, at some point people don't really understand what it is you deal with because others think he'll grow out of it. He'll snap out of it, you know. Um, or 
on the flip side, others will be overwhelmed by what they're seeing. Like, can this child really get any better than this? And as a mom and shout out to his dad as well. I mean, you have to be the ones to take bold steps of faith to call out of your child what nobody else is seeing yet. And when you now begin to see it and others can see it, you're glad that you never gave up. That would be an instance. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. Bumping my cards. Thank you very much. You really have the perfect responses, eh? It's like you, they leak. You know what, Sui? I think you've actually, you've set a theme for this already. We might as well just call it the perfection episode. <laughs> really, at this Yeah, it's point. going to be a perfect episode, by the way. <laughs> so let's now get into, like, getting to know you. Um, Mainza. Who is Mainza? Mainza is, I think I'm a girl at heart. I actually came to that realization um, a few days ago, like I haven't changed much internally. Like I still have the same thoughts, the same dreams, the same aspirations, only that as you get older, you know, you start to check off some things. But um, if I'm to talk about who I am now, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a wife, I'm a mother, I'm a daughter, I'm a communication specialist, I'm a digital evangelist um, and just very purposeful about life and being intentional about how I live and uh, what I can do with my story because I'm passionate about my own stories because it's the only story I have to tell. I can't tell your story, but I can tell you my story with the hope that um, something from the pieces of my story will resonate with pieces of your own story and you know there'll be some impact there. When it comes to telling your story, you use words and you talked about, you asked about a book a book is words. There's certain words that you've run with that's still in your head. Long after you had an interaction with a person, there are words, we carry words with us. So for me, a story is powerful because words carry even into time. Wow. Um, talk to me about the urban evangelist. First of all, how that name come about? <laughs> so I actually cannot lay claim to this title in the sense that it was actually just bestowed upon me. So I was um, a student at Rayma Bible Training Center Zambia, yeah. and uh, I'm a teacher now there, I'm an instructor, I'm a member of faculty. But as a student, um, you know, you do two years there. And as you get closer to your graduation, you have a communion service where you, you take communion and then you also um, have your instructors, you know, just pray for you, lay hands on you and just kind of, you know, send you out, like, you know, commission you go into the world and do what you need to do with what you've acquired here. And so during that service, you know, um, I actually remember, um, I was praying and, you know, my head was bowed down and my instructor, one of my instructors, who's also, um, an associate pastor at the church that I go to, by the way, I go to Miracle Life Family Church. In I case can tell you're from <laughs> No, you can't because there's other people that go to Rayma, but they're not Miracle Life yeah, okay. well, uh, members. I'm also your friend with, with Chomba, so I figured... Bizzo. I don't know how... Uh, oh, Chomba Miraki. Yes, okay, yes. no, because there's another Chomba in class with and we oh, call no, him no, Bizzo. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Huh, yeah. Right. So, and then there's also other denominations as well that go to Rayma. So okay. you can't really tell by looking. And there's something about Rayma people because the last time, the last Rayma person, so you are actually the, the third Rema person that I've had a conversation with. Um, After Chomba and who was the other one? Ade. Ah, oh, he's brilliant. Yeah. I watched that episode. Oh, he's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah, he yeah, is. He, he, is. Is. he is. Yeah. And, and, and so um, what, what, what led you into like this whole evangelism? Yeah. 
and 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 why are you not like a pastor like pastor in church <laughs> or something okay so i'll finish how the 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 name came to yes. me so yes i mean my instructor just came up to me and said god's I'm, i'm seeing something over you like a title the urban evangelist um does it mean anything to you i'm like no he says but i'm seeing it flash over your head and i've been trying to ignore it but it's getting stronger the more i try to ignore it uh but god's telling me you're the urban evangelist and um you know get started with what you have you know begin to speak to people use your own personal content and what's crazy is that that morning i had i had deactivated my personal facebook account i think for most of the time that i was at rema that year and that morning i enabled the app i didn't log in because i was telling myself if i go back online i'm going back to make a difference and not mindless scrolling you know not reading stories and gossip i want to go and make a difference when i go back online and so he said go back and use facebook you know use these social media apps to just spread the gospel and for me that was a confirmation because just that morning i had a chat with it about uh, i had a chat about that with god and yeah so it it was birthed from that and i ran with it in the sense that um Listen, the, the the great commission Sui, it's it's not the great suggestion for you to consider, you know, like I'll think about it. We're all called to do it. It's it's a command to be obeyed. Uh the message has never changed. The message of the gospel has been the same for thousands of years, but the methodology is different. So, same message for me, different methods. I'm using social media to 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 spread that message. I'm using the things that god has gotten me through the difficult things the things that we may not really want to talk about i put that stuff out there to show that listen you can go through this journey with god and he'll get you to the other side and so for me it's how do i apply to my life um how do i show people my scars sometimes even my wounds because before it's healed you know i i will talk about it if i feel led to talk about it but because just because i can teach and i know i can teach i know i can teach because i've been putting out the truth tea every sunday for years now you know probably over 3 years so i definitely know that i've got an understanding of scripture in a way that i can pass it on to someone in an understandable way like bite size chunks but just because i can teach doesn't mean i've been called to shepherd so that's why i don't have a church i've had okay. people ask me Oh, when are you opening your church, you know? Or do you have a church or can you set up a church? And my answer is no, no, no. I'm a very happy congregant. I'm not warming the pews. I mean, I am doing doing my part, but I'm not called to shepherd, or at least I don't feel that way yet. If it's something God will speak to me about years down the line perhaps, as it is absolutely not. <laughs> for for me that communicates your genuineness you know because for some people it's something we realize wait i actually have followers i can set up a church mm. here's an opportunity and then you go into it but you're actually not led by the spirit and so i've come to learn that those are things that you do because you feel like there's a demand mm-hmm. and not because mm-hmm. you feel like the spirit is leading absolutely and i think there's danger in that really it shouldn't be driven by the number of people following you and oh my gosh i've got an answer for you now one of the books that made a huge impact especially now is god's generals but then there's a particular edition that talks about why others failed so it talks about all the great men and women of god that have been used mightily how they succeeded but the one i was interested in the most is why they failed 
and just learning from the mistakes of others. And a lot of the failure came as a result of having yes men around you, not having balance, people that, you know, could correct you and rebuke you. And a lot of that, a lot of them fell into error that way. So I'm very mindful of this platform that I'm using and even some of the pitfalls that come with it. Okay. And, and the truth tea name, how did that come about? Because truth, um, truth changed my life. And I say that because, um, John 8, 32, you know, the truth and the truth will set you free. I had, I've had real life interaction with that, that verse in the sense that you can't be set free by a truth that you don't know. And so when you get asked, how did you become this person? You know, how did you change from the minds that we used to know back then to the one you are now? It's because I've taken the time to interact with the truth and to allow it to change my life. And I've allowed the truth to be a mirror, which I can look into and see myself, you know, in ways that perhaps then I wouldn't have seen myself, you know, under that light. And um, you take ownership of, of your mistakes. You take ownership of, of your sin. You take ownership of your shortcomings. And then you allow yourself to be strengthened by that knowledge that I'm not perfect. Nowhere near the perfect woman you think I am. But hey, if, if I am someone who used to, to thrive on addiction then, like addiction from approval of others, because I was an approval addict, um, what led to that? And then you apply that truth and you realize that I was an approval addict because I dealt with rejection in my life. I grew up with a single mom. And so I've filtered my life through this false belief that people are not going to really like me if they get to know the real me. But then God's truth gives you the freedom and it gives you the permission to be who he's made you to be. Flows and all, he factored that in when he called me. But those are the things that sometimes you want to run away from. But I embrace those. Wow. And you've mentioned the truth, but not the tea. So the tea came, as, like tea. came by way of, I love tea. When I wake up, it's the first thing I have, a cup of black tea. Yeah. Um, as the day goes, goes by though, I mean, the tea changes to milky tea, to, to herbal tea. Coffee, coffee is a treat right now. Okay. Yeah. Because I'm a mom, you know, and oh, yeah. yeah, I have to mind my caffeine intake. Okay. It's a treat. So yeah, I have coffee once a day. Okay. It yeah. took me long to notice that uh, the teas on your truth tea are actually like crosses. Yes. Yes. So the tea really is just, again, back to how you decide to um, disseminate the message. You know, that's part of my tact. The task is there, but the tact is different. So tea Back then when I was coming back online, I mean, spilling the tea was about gossip, you know, oh, spill the tea, spill the tea. And I thought back to me being intentional about why I'm getting back online. Um, I'm going to go back online to spill tea, but I'm going to spill truth tea. And that's how it came about, really. And it's, it's led to the Truth and Tea podcast. It's led to Truth High Tea. So it's still kind of centered around truth. I mean, and truth tea. is the anchor, but then there's different products now attached to the truth. Wow. Yeah. And away from being the urban evangelist, um, you are Mainza mm. and you have a career, you have a job. Tell us about the other side of you that 
you don't show us on social media. Right. Apart from the master's degree, congratulations. By Thank you so much. And congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. On your degree. Thank you. Awesome stuff. Yeah. Thanks. So I actually don't talk about my work, but now that you've asked, um, I did say I'm a communication specialist. So I work uh, for UNICEF. I'm on maternity leave right now. I mean, UNICEF is all about children. I mean, we go by um, the, the tagline for every child. So they're very generous with the maternity leave. I've got six months of it. <laughs> yeah. Wait, as in the maternity leave is six months? It's six months. What? Yeah, because we believe it starts with our own children as well. And it starts with us as mothers, because I mean, we're all about women's and children's um, well-being and, and rights. So yes, wow. you can, you can, yeah, pick up your bottom jaw now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so that's my work. Uh, I love it. I find it very fulfilling. Um, I work in the communication section. And so I get to tell the stories that, you know, are on the ground, the impact of our work. Um, I mean, the, the great work of our cooperating partners, but it all, ties into who I am in that I love to write. I love to read. I love to tell stories, you know, and now you're telling stories again of impact or you're highlighting the need that's there and that's prevalent in our nation. And as far as, you know, children's well-being, especially is concerned. So it's very fulfilling work for me. Um, I travel a lot. Um, from the time I joined UNICEF, I managed to go to every province in the country thanks to my work. And when I say province, I go into districts I never thought I'd, you know, ever set foot into. I'm not exactly going to pack up my bag and say, oh, I'm going to Shiwangandu, you know what I mean? But I've been to such places because of my work and I've traveled the length and the breadth of our country to see how we live, how our children are growing up. What are they lacking? What do they need? And just the smiles on these kids' faces, you know, and it also gives you perspective, Sui, in that um, you might look at the needs of others and um, think, okay, I wish I could do this. I wish I could do that. But even in their need, there's so much contentment. And so you look at yourself and you, you, I mean, you know, you're in a perhaps better off position, right? But where's your contentment? Where's your joy? So it gives me perspective like that as well. I always get a shift in perspective when I interact with other people and just, you know, learn from them listen to them as well and just allow them to tell you their story as well. It's only, it's only through that, that you then be able to reflect their story better as a story writer. So, yeah. Talking about children. Um, I saw this, this post, um, that you shared, um, when you found out that, um, your newest kid, a baby, mm -hmm. um, was actually going to be a boy yeah. and, I, and you were really praying for a girl. Mm -hmm. Um, and that then made you a mother of five boys and you call yourself a five-star general. Um, how <laughs> You've been reading a lot, haven't you? <laughs> On yeah, my I feed. Have, yeah, have. <laughs> I, I, talk to me about the experience because at some point you feel like, you know, like, okay, boy, 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 this must be a girl. Yeah. And then it's another boy. So I'll be very honest with you. Um, I'm all about truth and honesty and vulnerability. And sometimes the vulnerability is something I struggle with because I always ask God, but like, why do I have to bear my soul in order for it to have impact? But again, someone will relate to that. Someone will be helped by that. So the desire for a girl, first of all, started from the fact that we actually lost a baby girl. 
So our first pregnancy was triplets. We had two boys and a girl and I carried up to just under six months, like five and a half months. And, um, you know, just the pain of literally you deliver. I had to go through the labor process and you're delivering babies, one baby after another and being told still, still, still. So you then, you know, continue to, you know, try. Then came our first boy and then we got a set of twins after him. So for me, um, again, sometimes when you think you've figured out how God is going to work, you're kind of like, okay, so you've given me back the two from the three that we've lost. So there's one more left, like you, you owe me. And I kind of got into that. You owe me one God, like you owe me one more. You owe me a girl because of what I've been through. But again, it's, it's, it's God's purpose. So like none of us can twist his arm when it comes to his will. So there was that desire one. And then, um, we had a daughter. She was my stepdaughter. When we got married, um, my husband had a seven year old girl. When we're getting married, she was eight. And so we developed a beautiful relationship. We had a beautiful bond. Unfortunately, we lost her, um, in 2021 on Christmas day. And, um, it's, it, it stemmed from, from the desire from the boys to want another sister like her because they loved each other so much. And so they would, you know, touch my belly, rub it and say, oh, I hope it's a baby sister, you know, because yeah, we've lost Lena. She was, her name was Lena and you want it more, especially for them as well, you know? And also because of my relationship with my mother, she's my best friend. You want to also replicate that again, like, oh, I'd love to have a girl, you know, just someone I can get close to and someone who you tend to think a girl will look after you when you grow up or as you get elderly. But I've seen it in my boys in that they're nurturers, they're caring. So who's to say that the male children will not be able to look after you are not financially like we're expecting them to look after us happy days if they can but that it's why we're working you know to also retire well you know what I mean yeah. but like just the care aspect the concern aspect because the narrative is boys will get married and they'll focus on their wives as they should but it's almost as if they'll forget all about where they come from but if you raise them right if you connect with with them well I don't see why that should change. And so I see that in my, my boys, they're nurturers, they're loving, they'll show care and concern, but there was a desire to have a girl. Yeah. So that disappointment, I mean, it was real because, um, it was a shattered dream that I had in the sense that I absolutely love my son. I am grateful that I can even have children the conversation here is not ingratitude. It's not an entitlement, which I might have had at some point, but we all have desires that we want. If we're to be honest, some, we, we fail to even communicate them to the next person because you fear judgment, but I said it out loud. And I think from the responses, I said out loud what a lot of women, you know, deal with, but are afraid to say, because they think, you know, it'll be taken out of context. They'll be misunderstood. And I did get some backlash here and they're like, be grateful. You've got children. Others are trusting God for children. And I did make mention to that in my write-up, but at the end of the day, back to truth and honesty, God desires for us to be honest, to be vulnerable. So if I can't tell him that I want a girl, who am I going to tell Sui? Who's going to give me a daughter? But if he doesn't, then he's got a very good reason and I'll trust him. How, 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 how do you maintain uh such strong faith and 
Because why I'm asking is, given the things you've gone through, you know, the, the, the steals and losing Lena, yeah. and you still have this faith. For most people, those are the times when they part ways with God and they feel like, no, like you let me down. And, and sometimes you look at people who live a faithless life mm. and they seem to have everything that you seem to want. But then you, even after going through all of this, you still maintain that faith, that belief, that closeness, and you still keep believing. What, what really helped you go through all of this? I think, first of all, it's trust God or die, really. I think there's some things that I have gone through that if I didn't have God to lean on, I would have lost it, you know. Um, wow. <laughs> I can't believe you're making me cry. I can't believe you're making me cry. Um, it was painful to lose Lena. The pain comes from what she went through, you know, before she passed. And she never lost faith. And that's a young lady, 21. You've got an autoimmune disease. There's no cure for it. Your body is rejecting your liver. And again, it's something that we've not talked about openly as to what was the cause of death. Um, but I mean, she touched lives, you know, even in her death. And it's, it's why I can make reference to it. Um, you see that and it also does something for you. Like if she can hold on to God, who am I not to hold on to God? You know, um, it's God's proven track record in our lives. We've seen so many miracles. In the end, yes, he took her. But there's so many other times that he came through, you know, where you're being told, do this or you'll lose her. And all of us come together, you know, to pray and trust God. And when I, saw, when I say all of us, I mean, I continue to highlight the fact that I was a stepmom. She had a biological mom and, you know, all of us, her dad, people that love her, her grandparents, we all stood and would see God come through. So now that um, we haven't gotten the ending that we anticipated, does God cease to be good? Absolutely not. You know, there's there's been so many battles in my life that have been great, but I would not have great victories if the battles were not as great or as intense. So I, I, I am of the view that... Um, your victory is in direct proportion to your battle and you have to accept it as the full spectrum of life because just because I have God doesn't mean I'm shielded from the pain of life, from the suffering of life. And I talk about it to show that actually when you take a stand for God, you will face a lot of problems. But the beauty is I would rather go through life, you know, with so many problems, but with God on my side than to have a cushioned life without him. So I'll choose my life over and over again because I've walked and I've lived it with God. And the strength comes from the fact that he's never failed me, even what might look like a failure. He's never failed me because I could have died a long time ago. So I tried to take my life in 11th grade. And it's crazy that I'm opposite St. Jones Hospital, where we're recording from. And that's the hospital I was taken to when I tried to take my life. So again, that was a memory that flashed back. And you remember, but God, he preserved my life for a reason. You know, um, there was 
a lot of times when I would question, why am I even alive? What's my purpose? I have had moments like that. What am I here for? But as you lean in more and you allow him to write your story, which is already written by the way, but if you just allow him to unveil every chapter as you trust him, you begin to see the bigger picture and the bigger purpose. Like everything that I went through wasn't for me. It's why I'm so passionate about all things truth and sharing it. It's because your purpose is always greater than you. Why do you tell the stories you tell? Why do you invite the guests that you invite? It's because your gift, as much as it's worked for you, it's bigger than you. It's for the next person. A tree doesn't bear fruit to eat its own fruit. It's for others to come and pick and be enriched by that fruit. So for me, um, there's just no question. I can't do life without God, Sui. And I don't want to do life without him. Because of everything that he's gotten me through, I actually... There's owing him with my life in the sense that it's an enslavement and bondage. But when I say I owe him my life, it comes from a place of gratitude because I know what he's done for me. You mentioned the other side of God. Um, there's, there's this thing called undeserving kindness, mm. the grace. The grace. You know, um, where in as much as um, we go through the pain of life, there are some things that you look up and say, but, but God, why me? You know, have you had such moments? Yeah. The painful side? No, 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 no. The, the, the side where you feel God's undeserving kindness. Oh, absolutely. So many times. So many times. Um, I'm a picture of grace, I think, really. I'm a product of grace. There's been moments where... Um, you're a young girl in grade 11. You write an essay that is sponsored by the World Bank. It's a countrywide essay on developmental issues. You give it a stab, your second prize in the country, and you're taken on a tour at the World Bank offices. You meet directors and a dream is born in you that one day I'll work for this organization. And it happens. And you're like, wow, did this actually happen? I want to work for the United Nations. I'm in the United Nations right now. I'm working. I'm an international civil servant. Um, it's, it's being able to do what I do with women. You know, um, there's been times where people would tell me, you know, you, you, you will have a ministry. You've been called to women. And then before it had resonated within me, I'd be like, me, where, when, why, how, but you see it now. And I think the beauty of it all is to do something that's so fulfilling. It's got so much purpose and it's working. I, 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 I don't know if that, that is something that you can relate to, no, but um, one of my biggest fears is succeeding at things that don't matter. You can succeed so easily at something that doesn't matter. Yeah. And I always tell people, it's like getting work experience <laughs> in a field you would not interest in. Thank you. But for me, the fulfillment is across the board as a woman, as a wife, as a mother, as a career person. There's so much fulfillment in that I'm utilizing everything within me. You mentioned um, earlier about, about purpose. Mm. Um, do you feel that you're living in your purpose? And how did you find your purpose? Because for most people, it's that thing where just identifying what your purpose is is a struggle. Yeah. And so they just live life willy-nilly. Today you're here, today you're there, because they haven't found their purpose. Others have even died without knowing what their purpose is. Yeah. What is yours? I came to discover that where your pain lies, that's often where your purpose is. 
So I discovered my purpose through the pain areas of my life. And by that, I mean, um, first of all, it stemmed from rejection. Like I said, um, I grew up raised by, you know, a single mom. I've, I've made reference to that. My father wasn't involved in my life. He is now, and we're in a very good place. I'm actually meeting him for lunch after this. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, in my earlier years, when, you know, I was most impressionable, when, you know, I was very malleable, I knew that I didn't have a father. And, you know, there was just no relationship between my father and I. And so you find that in order to get love, you know, you start looking for it in the wrong places, you know, or you start to perhaps perform according to other people's expectations or opinions of you. And you find that in so doing, um, Sui, you are denying your own authenticity because you're always trying to fit into someone's box of who you should be. You're trying to fit into someone's box, you know, of their opinion of you, meaning that if you're doing well, the opinion of you will be high, right? But if it's low, then it means I must not be doing something well. So you're always performing. And um, I teach a course called Search for Significance at Rhema, where, you know, we talk about how oftentimes we think that our self-worth, you know, is um, the sum total of our performance and people's opinions of us. And so we measure ourselves against that. But for me, when I broke away from that, I then began to discover who I truly am, even if it's the person that another person won't agree with or they won't understand or I won't perform according to how they want me to perform. When I shed off those layers now, I was able to begin to see, you know, beyond just my mistakes, see beyond my circumstances and realize that, listen, if I just own this and if I work on it for me, and if I develop it, and if I harness it, and if I stop hiding from it, if I stop running away from it, it will build me up. And it started from there. So that's how I discovered my purpose. I discovered my purpose when I, I discovered who I was. I found myself and the game changed. But more importantly, I also discovered my identity in Christ. And once I rooted myself in that, it's a concrete foundation that you can't break or shake. And you just begin to build on that. How, how do you think others can answer the question, why am I here? Because God created you for a reason and for a purpose. And so for you to find out why you are here, go back to the reason why you were created. Go back to your source. Anyone that makes anything or invents anything, they've got a purpose and a need that it's supposed to, to, to fulfill, right? There's, there's a vacuum somewhere and in, in this world, whatever vacuum was there for Isuilanji, God knew what he was sending you here to do. But apart from him, you will not be able to know why he created you. You will not be able to utilize the gifts and the talents that he gave you in isolation of him. So for me, like I said, I had to go back to my source and have him tell me what I do with everything that I do. Why did I love to write? Why did I love to tell stories? Why did I do radio? I was a radio presenter for so many years after high school. And then I'm back on radio. I'm back to communicating to people. I'm back to writing. I'm back to sharing stories. God doesn't waste experiences. And the reason why is because he's the one that put those things in you. So go back to him and begin to pay close attention to what you're good at. 
What comes naturally for you? What aren't you at peace about if you don't do it? And then um, you begin to monetize it as well. I, I, I like the point you mentioned that for everything there is a purpose. Because I'm sitting in this room and I'm thinking, the guy that designed the microphone knew exactly why he created the microphone. These right. things, these lights, these yeah. air cones. Yeah. So what about an actual human being? Thank you. So God can just, I mean, if someone can spend money making a microphone and, just, and we all know what the purpose is. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think God can just make a human being yeah. and just throw them out there for yeah. no reason. You yeah. know? And, and, and I feel like that's a good point. What, so we what, often what do you don't think? find our purpose because we, we, we leave him out of the equation. Oh, you want to create purpose away from him. Yeah. Wow, that's true. And you can, but again, it goes back to succeeding at things that don't matter. No, oh, yeah, that's a good point. You can succeed out of God's will, but it's not his will. <laughs> you can succeed. And, and others do. Others do. Others do. Yeah. So the other thing I want to find out is what, what do you think is the danger of living a life where I don't know what my purpose is? You will lack the fulfillment. Um, you will like joy and you will like the drive. Purpose will push you through pain. If you don't have purpose, the minute something gets hard and difficult and unbearable, you'll give it up. You asked me, why have I managed to hold on to God despite everything that I've been through? It's because I know my purpose stems from him. But also it's the things that I've chosen to do. Like, for instance, like I mentioned the event, Truth Haiti, it was so difficult to do. It was crazy to pull off. And I could have just parked at the first one, but because I know that I've been called to do this, it will push me through pain. It will push me through difficulty. Purpose will actually um, keep you resilient. It will stop you from drawing comparisons of what you're doing with your life and what others are doing. You will not be competitive in the sense that I want to outdo the next person. I want to be better than them. Purpose will give you your nuance. Like, this is what I'm called to do. This is my area and I'm going to stick to it. So it gives you your parameters. I think anytime you go beyond the parameters of your purpose, you get into trouble. Because now you're trying to find other things to complement what actually comes naturally to you. What's your innate ability? Where you don't really struggle. You struggle in the sense that it will be hard, but you do not lose that fuel, that desire to keep going, to keep pushing. Purpose will see the end goal long before, you know, um, you see everything else that's in the middle of your point A and point B that's designed to kill you and to stop you and hold you in your tracks. Purpose will show you the end and then it will push you through everything else that is a barrier, that's an obstacle, that's a hurdle. All right. That's the that's the importance of purpose. Okay. Kindly move in. You move away from the microphone. Okay. Much better? better. Much okay. Better. When 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 people now begin to live a life where I believe in purpose and whatnot, and there's this thing they say that everything happens for a reason. Mm. Um we talked a bit about where even like the painful things happen for a reason, mm. but for most people, they don't really see it like that. They mm. feel like it's a punishment. It's a want. It's, yeah. This is, this can't be my purpose, you know, where for example, someone gets fired and no, it's part of the purpose. Cause you can't mm. tell someone that and say, no, no, no mm -hmm. it's part of God's purpose for you to, be, to lose a job and, you know, uh, not have any income. Mm -hmm. How then do I align, you know, in terms of, yes, this is in my purpose. And how do I develop an attitude 
where I see beyond just something that's happened right now, yeah. but I know that this has a result for in the future. Because yeah. even for my life, I can relate where there are some things I really wanted. Yeah. I felt like, God, me, I want this. Yeah. You know, I really want this. Yeah. And I never got it. Right. And when I look back, I understand if I had gotten that, I would not have gotten this. But that only happens in hindsight, looking back. But in the moment, you feel disappointed, you feel dejected, because this is what I want. I want it right now. I like that, you know, you actually kind of took the words right out of me because I was going to say that some things only make sense in hindsight. After you've gotten through it, then you realize that, okay, so this is why I had to go through what I went through. But just back to your question of, you know, like in the moment, because like we're not talking hindsight here, if I got your question right. Yeah. Um, I think what leads us to be in a state of depression, and again, depression comes in many forms. Depression can be uh, an unfulfilled or a blocked goal that you are so fixated on and you can't look past. And so it, 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 it now brings about this low motivation in you as a, as a consequence. That's, that's an interpretation of depression. So then you find yourself in a depressed state in that you're low laying. You know, I talked about this a few weeks ago on my truth tea, where I said, if we've got sand in there, we've got that hourglass and there's sand, but if you've got like a heap of sand and maybe you, you know, punch your fist in there, there'll be a depression, isn't it? Because yeah. you've left a print on that sand. And so there's things that we, we, we want that we aspire, you know, to do that, that, that we have, we've got goals, we've got dreams. And then when they're shattered or, you know, when they are deferred or when it looks like it's not happening that leaves a print on us. And that print can be a depressed print in that it causes you to be lowly in spirit. It kills your motivation. It kills your drive. And then you attach that to purpose. Yet some things in life, Sui, are just assignments. We tend to park at assignments and then, you know, substitute that for our purpose. Your purpose doesn't go away. Assignments come and go and they're part of your purpose. A job is an assignment. A career is an assignment. It's not a calling. So I'm leading up to something here in the sense that what you think your purpose is may not be God's purpose for you. So whose purpose are you trying to accomplish? You get my point. It all goes back to your source, why he created you. So there's assignments that he'll give you that will come and go. But then they're all building up to your purpose. So which is why you started by saying nothing is wasted or everything happens for a reason. The reason why that assignment had to go or that chapter had to close is because it was stand in the way of the bigger picture, which is your purpose. So don't park with what has failed in your life. Understand that, you know, there is more to your story than where you're at right now. It will not make sense. And for me, I am not that person that wants to have all the answers for you. There's times that you'll come to me and I can't tell you because I equally don't know. And I'll just tell you, just trust God. Even in the uncertainty, just trust him. But we have a problem with doing that because trusting something that doesn't have a timeline, you don't know how long you'll be in that discomfort for. You don't know when your answer is going to come and trusting in the sense that you have to relinquish control of your circumstances. That's hard to do because when we feel like we're walking in purpose, we want to feel like we're in control, isn't it? Yeah. Like we, we, we are holding the reins. And if I do this, I'll get that job. We, we kind of line up our ducks in our role, our ducks are in a row. But then you find that 
Maybe you don't even have a duck. Maybe that's a pigeon amongst the ducks. Yeah. But understand that your purpose will be accomplished despite the hurdles, despite the obstacles. Stay the course. That's the hardest thing to do. But if you've got that purpose within you, it will push you even when it gets difficult. I keep going back to that. I keep circling back to that. Earlier, I talked about how I look at you as like the modern woman. And I saw this video where we were speaking at um, the, the vice president's daughter's, was that like a height? I mean, like it, it was a, a bridal shower, yes, yeah, a kitchen party, shower, yes, yeah. yes. Um, and, and you talked about um, a lot about the problem of 31 woman. Um, and today's modern woman sort of like doesn't like talking about that because you sort of like, you know, pitching them against this unrealistic you get a point like like ideal the, like, yeah like the ideal woman is too much and then they're they're, they're falling short and so they, they never want to talk about that they never want discussions around that but do you feel it's possible for a 2023 woman to strive to be a proverbs 31 woman and how do women go about mm. aspiring for that i actually didn't i wasn't a fan either i'll tell you that of the proverbs 31 woman <laughs> i wasn't a fan i just felt like who this day and age can, you know, check all oh, those qualities and attributes of a Proverbs 31 woman. But again, back to things that sometimes we don't understand and we judge because we haven't interacted with it. When I got to fully understand what it means, then I realized that a Proverbs 31 woman is attainable. Um, before I get to that, I want to give another example which is that of holiness, right? People struggle with the concept of holiness. Like, can I really be holy? Is it possible for me to ever be in a state, you know, where I have no sin? But it goes back to the understanding of what holy is. Holiness is simply you've been set apart by God. He set you apart for his use. So when you're set apart, you're not riding on your own holiness. You're riding on his so when you understand that a Proverbs 31 woman is not about what she does, but who she is, then you realize how attainable it is because Proverbs 31 is not about doing. It's about being first. So it's about being a child of God first. And if you read down that passage of scripture, right down to verse 38 says, a woman that fears the Lord, she's the one that's to be praised that's a Proverbs 31 woman, because you can be that without being a wife, by the way that actually speaks to a wife's qualities. But you can call a single woman a Proverbs 31 woman. You can call a childless woman a Proverbs 31 woman, even if it talks about being a mother. You get my point? Yeah. yeah. The foundation and the basis of that is a woman that fears the Lord is to be praised. Why? Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You now get wisdom on how to live your life, wisdom on how to trade, how to live with others, how to raise children, how to be a wife, how to be at your workplace, how to be good natured. It goes back to Jesus when he was affirmed by God. It was before he performed a single miracle. But God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So he gave that affirmation because Jesus belonged to him, not because of anything he had done. So Proverbs 31 is not about your doing. It's about your being first. Be a child of God first. The doing will come later. But God doesn't love you because of what you do. He loves you because you're his. 
What do you think most young women do wrong in these marriages? That just because I believe when the foundation is wrong, the structure won't last. Mm. You know, and so you find that a lot of women begin to do some things that they think are for the good, but are creating cracks in their foundation. Maybe find it's early on in the marriage. Because also, uh, the last time I think I was talking to Pastor Gladys Paswani, and the conversation really was about the marriage is in the beginning, mm. you know, in the, in mm-hmm. the early mm-hmm. first, second, third year, fourth year, by the time it's 10 years, you, you, you really have a foundation, yeah. you know, now you yeah. can take off. Yeah. But you find in, in, the, in, the, in the very beginning, there's some things, yes, I'm not saying women, even men do something wrong, but a woman who wants to build her home, yeah. you know, how can she build a strong foundation? I think it starts by, first of all, um, finding your rhythm as a couple. And I mean that in the sense of um, we tend to model after the marriages that we've seen. We model after the view of marriage we have, you know, maybe from what we saw our parents have or not have, or maybe, you know, even just amongst our peers, like how are they doing marriage? How did my parents do marriage? How is that other couple doing marriage? How's my pastor doing marriage? You get my point. But if you're going to form the basis of your marriage based on how another person is doing it, you're already in for problems because how they are doing it might not be the way that God intended for marriage to be done. So you're filtering your experience through another person's experience. And then you kind of hold yourself up against the backdrop of their experience of marriage, of their value system of marriage. So what happens to a person like me who, I mean, I grew up in a single parent home. There was no example of marriage to draw from, but I carried a wealth of wisdom into my marriage through my single mother because of, like you've said, some things that she had seen, some mistakes she had seen others make, like, don't make this mistake. Don't go down that route. Um, If we talk of the foundation, it's hard to ask me anything, Sui, without me referring back to the Bible because it, it, it informs what marriage is. It, it's not informed by culture. It's not informed by another person's opinion. God has his plan for marriage. And the ideal, first of all, is that you should be of one mind as husband and wife. And so I'm very vocal about that because I learned from my own mistakes and experiences in that, yes, we were great together. Yes, very compatible but we lack that foundation of operating under the same authority because we were unequally yoked at the start. And so for me, in my case, that's what led to my problems, a lot of them, because what I subscribe to, he didn't necessarily subscribe to, you get my point. And then I can't fault him for that because I went into it knowing that. And it's something that we talk about now very freely, like him and I, because now, I mean, he's a believer now and we're operating under the same authority. But It goes back to the principle of foundation. You can't make a foundation if you're not in agreement of what that foundation should be. So this goes back to even the kind of conversations that you have leading up to marriage. You know, um, what are your beliefs on finances? How do we deal with our finances? How do you think we should raise our children? Are we going to go to church with our children? Um, what are your views, you know, on, on, on extended family? You know, do you believe we should look after our parents? Should we, you know, support both sides? We don't have, we don't take the time to have conversations like that before marriage, because we're so driven by love, especially as women. Oh, he loves me. I love him. Chika is over. 
it will be fine as we go along. But then you find that again, all those conversations go back to the foundation. So the best time to save a marriage is before it actually begins. That's why a foundation is very important. When it comes to what women are doing wrong, I just feel like you can't add value to a marriage if you don't appreciate your own value. If you don't know your own value, it would be hard for you to, to not just add value in your marriage, but anywhere where you're placed, really. Even at your workplace, if you don't know the value that you bring as an individual, it'll be hard for you then to input value where you've been placed. And so we find that even when women are staying in physically abusive marriages or abuse of any sort, really, if you don't value yourself as an individual, it'll be easy to subject yourself to any kind of treatment simply because this is at the hands of my husband, so I should stay. So value yourself first, know who you are. And in knowing you, who you are, I think once you master yourself, you'll be able then to respond accordingly to situations. Back to the whole aspect of wisdom. If you know that, you know, um, a rough response or your tone of voice, you know, will bring um, tension in the home. You know how to respond, how to react. But again, if you're friends with your husband, you should talk about it. You should express yourself. You should be yourself. So again, back to the foundation. Are you friends with the man you're married to? Because you can find that you've got something going on, but there's no friendship. My husband is my best friend. So he knows me. I'm able to express myself fully. I'm able to express my goals, my dreams, my ambitions, and he's able to support that because he understands me. But again, back to the foundation that we laid. So honestly, it is just all about foundation. The first years are hard. You're still learning and discovering each other. You, you will come to find, and I'm sure you can attest to this as well, that when you were dating and when you got married to your wife, the dynamics were different. There's something about living with someone and you know that this is forever, like this is it, that changes the dynamic. There's a shift. So now you find your own rhythm. You find your pace. You get to know each other. There's things that life will throw at you. You lose a child. What does that do to you? Because grief can tear you apart or it can bring you closer together. Some things, you know, um, are only tested when, when, when something happens but you can't foresee everything that's coming, but your foundation should be solid enough to withstand whatever life throws at you. I like the fact that you brought in marriage as a whole. Um, complete the sentence for me. I know you've touched some of these things, um, but I'd like you to complete the sentence for me. A good marriage is one where? <laughs> your friends. Your friends. Yes, first. yes, yes. I've given a lot of biblical answers, but for me, the simplicity is... Your friends, there's a friendship. Some, some, some people feel that if, if, if you're too much of friends with your spouse, then even for the wife, you find it's a problem for her to submit because you're my friend. No, but that's the thing though. Like there should be that friendship in addition to the submission. It actually even makes it more joyful. So like we are friends. I was taught when you're serving your husband food, kneel down and give him his food. He wouldn't have that. Why are you doing that, Inza? Like, no, no, say, get up, get up, get up. 
we're friends like that. Does that mean I will not be submissive? Absolutely not. We can be friends in the sense that, um, as an example, for instance, I come into some money. It's my money, but I'll still go to my husband. Okay, I've got this money. What do we do with it? How do we spend it? That's submission. I think it also goes back to a person's understanding of what submission is. We're not saying reverence. We're not saying turn someone into a deity, but submit joyfully. And part of that is being friends. Enjoy your marriage. Enjoy your relationship. But give him the due respect. Do you think submission is easy for women? Um, the modern day woman, it might be a bit more difficult. Because the modern day woman, um, she's, 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 she's an earner. She's got an income. She's a breadwinner in some cases. Um, she's got information. She's got options. You know, she's got choices. Uh, so much so that um, a traditional marriage might seem, um, you know, um, counterproductive to who she's becoming. But there is an intersection where they meet and they overlap very well if you manage it well. Okay. And um, one of the key problems that I've noticed with most marriages is unrealistic expectations, you know. Um, and sometimes you find, and that's why I, I, I always tell people that you, you're not ready to marry because, or oh, now you have money or now I have a job. And there are men who tell you that, so now mm -hmm. I can marry because I don't, I don't have a job. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then, okay, you have find a job. God bless you with a job. You have a job. You go into the marriage one year down the line, you've got no job. Yeah. Okay. And so because you promised this woman all these, I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll do that, right, I'll do that. Right. And then also the woman also has her own expectations. which yeah. may, may not be realistic. Yeah. How do you feel couples can manage expectations? Unmask. Unmask yourselves. Show up as who you really are. And which is why I said when you shed off layers of opinions of how you're supposed to perform and in this case, as husband and wife, and you form your own rhythm, it gives you the permission to unmask who you really are, Sui. Because I can pretend to be an ideal wife. I can go into it with the face of a, a face of a Proverbs 31 woman, but you can only pretend for so long. And circumstances in life, they change. You know, the only thing that's constant in life is change. Change will happen. And how you respond to change reveals what's really on the inside of you. When life shakes you up a bit, it exposes what's on the inside of you. So off the bat, just go unexposed and go as you are. Because if I love you and if you have a bad patch in life, why should I run away from you? When, when you, you were at your peak, you gave me everything. And now that you know you're lacking, I should run away. That doesn't speak to you. That speaks to me as an individual and as a person. It speaks to my character. It speaks to what I went into it for. So I think if we go into marriage with the aim of it should serve something for me, that's where we miss it. Because marriage is sacrificial. So oftentimes... We go into it because it serves a purpose for us. It's self-serving. I will get this out of this person. I'll get this out of this marriage. Um, it will give me the confines within which to have children. I'll be looked after. You know, my husband will have a job, will be taken care of. Or 
again, it could be any other reason. People have different reasons so for getting married. So it's hard to really generalize. But I mean, I'm speaking to your question of yeah. expectations and how do you manage that? Unmask and just come as you are. And then in so doing, that gives you the liberty to show up as your authentic self. You mentioned children. Um, we are not children a gift from God. Um, for a couple of children, I obviously a blessing, but sometimes can be a disruptor. Yeah. Um, how, how do you think children change a marriage and how should couples prepare for children and understand what bringing children into the marriage means? Because like you said, some people just see it in other people. Mm-hmm. You go to the mall, mm-hmm. they look like they're happy or yeah. they've got kids, I yeah. want that, but you don't see what's actually in the yeah. background of that. Yeah. How do you feel children change a marriage and how can you know couples get ready for that change? Because whatever the case, a child will bring change. Yeah. So I don't think that there's enough that can prepare you to be a parent and the dynamics that that carries and how it changes your marriage, because um, most of it really, you are actually learning on the job. Also depending really on the nature of the child and, and, and the baby in this instance. But I think part of the preparation really just goes with, are you both ready? There's times where maybe your spouse tells you, I'm not ready to have a child yet. And you ignore that because yes, it's within your right to have a child. You are married and you should have children. But if you've not decided like, okay, we're ready to go now, you might find that you are limping in the sense that you are more ready than your partner is. And sometimes you do it with the hopes that they will catch up. But we don't pay attention again in these conversations that we have Are you ready to have a child at this point? These are conversations that in my marriage we've had to have, depending on what's prevailing in each person's life. So like um, when my career began to pick up, right, I knew what my work schedule demanded. And I knew that bringing a baby into this mix would be a bit crazy for me. And also, even as you're working towards a certain goal, like, okay, I'm waiting, you know, maybe to get to this point um, of my employment. Maybe I have something more stable or it's permanent or it's not a contract or my contract is about to come to an end. So there might be a dip in our finances. So that would not be a great time to have a child. You can discuss that and you can agree. Of course, this is all things considered, all things holding rather. I mean, there are some surprises that happen. Like an oops, it, you're pregnant. What do you do? you deal with it. But if you can plan ahead and discuss, ensure that the timing works for both of you. Because when a baby comes, those those first few months, I think it also shows you another layer of who you're dealing with in your partner in the sense that a baby's up pretty much almost every second hour in the first few months to feed, you know. Um, And sometimes the most annoying thing can be you're there on your own and your partner is fast asleep and snoring. But if you have, you've agreed, like, listen, I'll take this shift and I'll help you out from this time to that time. It becomes a bit better. Or in the morning, maybe around 4 a.m. That's our dynamic. He'll help me with the baby. It's our dynamic. Is that everyone's dynamic? No. So you find what works for you and you agree on that. And you have to be very intentional because when it comes to parenting, it's not happy go lucky. You have to be intentional as intentional as you are about spending time together. Have a date night and date night doesn't mean you go out. Date night can even be okay. If I've got a nanny, 
I'll give the baby to the nanny at this this time. She'll keep the baby for me while maybe in another room, we're watching a movie, we're having quality time. That's a date night. You don't necessarily have to step out. It doesn't have to cost you thousands to go out, but just be intentional about still coming back to that place where you reconnect and have conversation again. How are you feeling about this? How do you think we're doing? You take stock of where you're at. I think we lose sight of that because we feel like love is going to take care of everything and you eliminate the intentionality factor. All right. Looking back, what advice would you give to young minds on marriage? So we? <laughs> <laughs> Man. What advice would I give on marriage? Hmm. Definitely know who you are. And I say that because if you know who you are, you will not be shaken by some of the things that marriage can throw at you. Um, we've had to grow in our marriage. You did mention that one of your previous guests talked about how you're building something in your marriage in the first few years, right? Yeah. So we're at a stage where I can safely and comfortably say we're enjoying the fruit of our marriage. Um, it's, it's, it's that marriage that I thought it would be going into it. And this is like 14 years. It's been the last couple of years where like, wow, this is amazing. We, we get each other. We're vibing. Not that it wasn't there before, like hear me well, mm-hmm. but I'm saying we're now reaping the fruit of all the work that has gone into the marriage. There's been a lot of work, but what has allowed for that to happen is to know who I am in the sense that there'll be times where some things will feel unfair or you might wonder why has this happened, but you don't allow it to take you out of your character, out of who you know yourself to be. So if, if you understand that, I think you can easily pull through anything knowing that I will not allow this to take away from the essence of who I am. I will not allow what might seem like, you know, a difficult season again, to take away from the essence of who I am. When funds got rough, finances got rough at some point, I didn't leave my husband. That's not who I am. I'm there for the long haul. It hasn't always been a bed of roses. When we fought, I didn't walk away. I stayed the course. When we discovered one of our children who's on the autism spectrum, you know, we had a lot of questions like, oh, whose side of the family does this come from? In trying to get answers. But what's shifting blame going to do for us? Do you get my point? I didn't allow that to get into the inside of me and affect us. There was no witch hunting when that happened. You just take it for what it is. It's one of those things that just happen in life. How do we get past this? So I think the advice then would be know yourself because there's a time I didn't know who I was. There's a time my identity was tied into being Mrs. Kawanu and not Mayenza. So that's why I've taken the time to explain this. Find your identity and know who you are. That's what I would have told myself going into it. It took me time and quite a bit of time. But when I discovered myself, it changed so much for me. What is it like 
having a child with autism? It's difficult. It's, it's overwhelming. Um, it's, it's hard, but all of this combined cannot, um, overshadow the joy that he brings into our lives and just how he is such an important component of our family in that he's taught us so much, not just about him and about, you know, um, autism itself, but just who we are as a family, you know, in the way that you see his brothers look out for him, you go out as a family, they're protective of him. You know, um, there's things that an outsider may not understand about our son at a first glance or first interaction. And so, um, you are not apologizing for the way that he is. We're in a place where we're non-apologetic about his condition. There's times where he'll act out or maybe he'll have a meltdown and you feel like you owe it to every family at another table. Um, you owe it to them to be apologetic. Oh, I'm so sorry. So sorry. He's like this. We don't bother with that anymore. Like, unless he's in their space, but he's our boy. We love him. We're proud of him. And we don't have to explain ourselves for why he is the way that he is. So he's taught us so much about ourselves as a family, the kind of love that we have. Um, it's taught me as a mom so much about being courageous, you know, about fighting for him, you know, about not giving up. And um, there's been so many times where he's checked milestones that we were told he would never attain. I was telling you off camera that this boy taught himself how to swim. He's now drawing, he's now painting, he's coloring. Um, he may not be verbal in that he doesn't express himself much with words, but boy, does he give the best hugs. Like you feel his warmth, even if he doesn't say a single thing to you, come through our door, he'll say hello or he'll just hug you. And you feel that love, you know? So for me, it's, it's shedding off again, back to parenting. You had asked that question. It's shedding off the narrative of what a parent child relationship should be like. I've got a son that I may never be able to hear his thoughts in that he can't express them to me fully, but I've made peace with that. I've accepted it. And in acceptance, there's been so much healing in that. Now we're trying other non-conventional ways of how do we communicate? What is he trying to say? You know, how can we get him to understand this concept? One of the most difficult things was when his big sister died. And I remember there's a time I was asking, does he understand that she's not with us anymore? What is he thinking? What's going through his mind? And then you find one day he comes with something that he's drawn, a picture of a girl, and she's got the hair color that his sister had. And you ask, who is this? And he tells you, Lena. You're like, wow, that's, that's deep. I, I can't put that into words, Sui. So despite the challenges of where we've had nights before where he couldn't sleep, he'll be wide awake. He could not fall asleep on his own without, you know, like hormonal supplements to help him fall asleep because he didn't have the sleep hormone. We've gone through him not being potty trained. We've gone through him not understanding the concept of danger and harm. You know, we've, we've gone through so much, but none of that outweighs the joy that he brings us. 
so much so that the acceptance is not that we've given up on the fact that God is able to heal him, but the acceptance comes in that while we wait, let's enjoy him. Let's love on him. Let's be at peace. And we really are in that place. Yeah. It reminds me of that thing they say that um, while you wait for the light at the end of the tunnel, you praise him in the hallway. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's precisely that. And how do you think um, other parents can, can, can better deal with the autistic children? Because like I, was, I was telling you even before we started recording that there are some parents that are just in denial. Mm. Like me, this might can be my child, can be, he's just fine. It's going to be okay. Yeah. And the longer they take in that process of denial, yeah. the longer it takes for the child to receive the proper, you know, yeah. treatment, the proper attention and the proper care. Yeah. So can I tell you that I, I actually can relate to a parent that's struggling with acceptance in the sense that sometimes it's misplaced faith. You feel like if I say it out loud, then I'm accepting it as my reality. So part of the denial actually comes in that if I deny it, then I will not give it power to come into existence or to be. But here's the thing. Faith doesn't deny facts. It acknowledges them, but understands that there can be another possibility beyond this. Acceptance also is difficult in that once you accept something, you are saying goodbye to the dreams that you had of that child, what you imagined that child would be. Again, it goes back to when you're getting into the parenting journey, sometimes we've got this picture of what we think it will be like, and then reality hits you with something else. It throws you a curveball. And you need to be able to make adjustments in life. And even as a parent, because if you remain fixated on an objective that is now blocked, it will lead you to be, you know, in a very dark place because you're not allowing light of new information to come. And the longer you keep yourself in a cocoon, that's a disservice to the child. Because like you're saying, early interventions are everything for any child that's on the autism spectrum. There's so many things that qualify a child to be on that spectrum. But for all of them, early intervention is really one of the best things that you can do in that you can start to seek therapies and stage interventions when you can catch some of the things. And while, you know, there's still um, time to do it, the acceptance, the acceptance aspect of it is difficult, but once you accept it, you've taken ownership and control of the situation. When we came to a place of acceptance, we were able then to gather our immediate family and tell them, this is what's going on with our son. And in order for you to help us, this is what you need to know about him. When you're around him, he might behave in this way and that way and that way. And here's what you need to do to help not just us, but to help him especially. So when you accept something, you open yourself up to possibilities of what you can now do to come out of it. What you own is something that no one can use against you because you've owned it. You're talking about it. It's out there in the open and you've taken your authority back over that situation. And that's what we decided to do. Even with the condition that your son is in, what, what future do you imagine for him? So what, what, in, what, what I used to do before is I used to spend a lot of time trying to find parents who've got a child on the spectrum that is older than him because I would want them to tell me that he's going to be all right. You get my point? Yeah. 
he's going to maybe grow out of this once he gets into his teen years. He'll be able to do this. But doing that is robbing my son of having his own unique path. Because let's forget that he's autistic. At the end of the day, he's a child. And any given child will be different from another child. Even my children who are not on the spectrum, they're different. They're developing and progressing differently. You know what I mean? But for some reason, when a child has a condition, we tend to think that it's the same. It replicates. Every autistic child is the same. And yet they're all very different. They're all at very different parts of the spectrum. So I had to stop doing that and just tell myself that there's abilities that he has that are innate to him. He's so athletic. He loves to color. He's artistic. Um, he is great with gadgets. Like he's a tech guy. And when I say he's a tech guy, like I may not know how to operate a PS5. He'll figure it out. You will buy a TV. He'll know what to do with the TV. How he'll get to YouTube, only God knows, but he'll get to YouTube <laughs> and he'll search his favorite videos and they'll be on the TV. So then you realize that there's things that we can just nurture and harness about him and see where it goes. And that's what we've dedicated ourselves to doing. See what his strengths are and then develop those strengths with the hope that who knows, maybe he'll be the next Muzala. <laughs> there are no limits. There are no limits, yeah. you know, or who knows, he'll be our next little scientist or he'll be the next Picasso. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not limiting him. Yeah. I, I, I think I told you last time, um, I mean, earlier that um, I, I, I spoke to, I had a conversation with the Mulenga. I mean, not the Mulengas. Um, yeah. The founders of the Mulenga Autism Foundation, because yeah. their son Mulenga is autistic. Yeah. And they said there are some people who even order, some people have grown up and no one knew they were autistic. Like they've just grown up. And, but also when you are exposed to someone who's autistic, like the way you are with your son, yeah. you are then able to tell that that one, that one, that one is. And also they said that their son is able to tell other autistic kids, you know? Um, and there was one time, also the whole awkward interactions. Mm -hmm. There was one time he went like a social gathering at a mall or something and he went to this kid and said, this sounds like me, you know? Really? Yes. And, and oh. the parents were a bit, you no, know, because they are in denial, you know, something where someone tells you your child is, and yeah. you always refuse. And, and now a kid, a, a, child. Kid, a child comes wow. in and, and for them, you know, but then also I feel that when we have people like you that openly speak about it, you know, you begin to break these walls and yeah. have people have these open conversations yeah. because then also that's how people get help. Exactly. Because when you, 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 you can't be helped in a problem that you're denying you have, yeah. you know, if I'm yeah. struggling in mathematics and now nah, I'm good, I'm good. No, don't mm. come to me because, you know, it just become awkward, Absolutely. you know, but where I say, you know what, I need help. Then yeah. you get the needed help. And I yeah. feel like it's, it's a good thing that you're yeah. open to talk about it. And also like you see it and how it, it, it seems as though there's more autistic cases on the rise, but some of it really is because more parents are speaking up. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Actually. Yes. Uh, now, it's not that no, they're new. No, they've always been there. Yeah. But because we're speaking about yeah. it now, we begin to actually, exactly. oh, okay, yeah. Exactly. But, but yeah, that, that's, that's, it's for me, really, it's good that you speak about it. And then it the more information that you put out there, because part of the reason why I'm deliberate in, in sharing information and just talking about my journey is because um, the more information you have, the more you'll be able to even detect it 
within families, like early detection. Of course, it's very sensitive in that you just can't go up to a person and say, oh, I think something is off about your child. I'm able to see it. I've seen it in some cases and I've kept quiet about it. But then once it's been identified, right, um, it takes away, um, you know, the whole, again, ignorance is not bliss in the sense that even within our family, there's people that would tell us, um, he's just got a problem with speech. He'll, he'll grow out of it, you know, or, or give it time. Other people just feel like, oh, and yet there's an underlying issue there. So the more we talk about it, the more we're educating and enlightening others, we're also sensitizing them. Yeah. Even just those who may not have autistic children, exactly. but they know how to, you know, conduct themselves around right. these kids and how to interact have with them. Have some etiquette around families that have such children. No, that's very true. Yeah. That, that trust me, can go a long way. No. Let's keep talking about it. Yeah. Um, you have an event this Saturday. You, you yes, mentioned it um, yes. in passing. Um, first of all, how did you come up with that dress code? <laughs> <laughs> the cherry blossom? Yeah. Well, it's, um, it's a tree and it's very colorful. And um, it speaks to um, something new, new life, a new beginning. Um, and I just thought, oh my goodness, I've just seen it. These are my colors. Oh, this one. And that. Oh, okay. Because it's shades of pink and splashes <laughs> of blue. Like, okay, cool. <laughs> I just saw that really. Oh, yeah, I saw it this time. Yeah. So no, the dress code really is from the cherry blossom tree. It's just very colorful, but I also liked what it just stood for and just felt it would tie nicely into the theme of what's in your cup. And yeah, it was birthed like that. Okay. Nothing, nothing deep went to it. No deep critical thinking. It's okay. just, it's just pretty. And what do you intend to achieve at the end of it? Someone attends the event and then they leave. What, 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 what impact do you want the event to have? Back to, again, words have impact and they carry long after a conversation has died. So, I mean, it's, it's being intentional about um, the speakers that you're bringing and the message that they will deliver so in this case, you know, we really are talking about what's on the inside of us. I know I haven't broken it down. It's just the theme that says what's in your cup. But it's really speaking to the fact that when you spill something out of a cup, it's what's in the cup that's going to spill out of it. And whether you were shaken, your hand was shaken, if it's coffee that's in your cup, it's coffee that will spill out, regardless of the shaking. And so there's stuff welling up as women on the inside of us. But what is that stuff? And what is it that's coming out of us when life shakes us, when life hits? And how do you deal with what comes out if it's, if it's not positive? Say, for instance, right? Say you are a woman who is unable to express, you know, um, feelings of loneliness as a single woman, perhaps. Or maybe you're overwhelmed as a career woman, or maybe you feel like you aren't doing a great job at balancing your life or back to what was I born to do? What is my purpose? All those are things that are in your cup. And when life shakes you a certain way, sometimes the shaking will cause you to make decisions or say things that, again, as a result of what's been filling up on your inside, things that you've been holding and suppressing on the inside of you, you know, out of the abundance of our hearts, you know, we speak and we do things. So really it's what's on the inside of you. 
how can we get the good stuff to come out even more and more? And how can we help you process the negative stuff? And at the same time, you, if you love your cup of tea with milk, you can't fill it all the way to the brim with tea without leaving room for the milk to come in. Otherwise it will overflow. So how do you make room for more infilling on the inside of you? You know, how do you make room for God? How do you make room to be edified by the next person? But over and above that, it's also networking. It's a networking event. And again, Jesus used to network. For me, everything goes back to the Bible. (laughs) Why do you think he called fishermen? Because they had nets. And that's not like a joke. Like that's not the pun. But really, that was a network. He called fishermen because these are people that knew people. They were tradesmen. They were at the ports where it was a hive of activity, like a marketplace, you know, where you go sell your fish and you and 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 your wares. That's a whole network. So we we need to break out of our silos and come together and just glean off of each other's wisdom and how we've done things. And you can't do that without holding hands with the woman that has gone ahead of you. The woman that's coming behind you, the young woman, I've been intentional about not leaving that woman behind. But at the same time, there's women that I also look up to, bring them into the same space. And most importantly, hold hands with the woman that's within you as well. Okay. Um, For those that wish to attend the event, um, how do they, you know, go about it? So they can purchase a ticket. Yeah, it's, it might be a bit too late, but they can purchase a ticket. Um, yes, they so can just <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, like there's a very small fraction left. Yeah. To sell out. Okay. Yeah. You see, you were scared to do the I event. Was, I look at you now telling you me that's so dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what would, if, if but they, they can check my socials, the Urban Evangelist, for more details on how to purchase the ticket. All right, cool. Yeah, because um, at, this, at this point, yeah, it, it, it's best to just get the information from the page. All right, all right, yeah. cool. Um, as we come to an end, if you were to give five pieces of advice to young women, what would you say to them? Five? Yes, just, it just, five? just five. It's too much. Yeah. That's too much. Given that, that, that you're always talking to young women, I'm assuming you should, by now you'd have been done. <laughs> Just five. Uh, okay. Um, number one, I keep going back to know who you are. Understand why you're created. It will draw you to your purpose. So find your identity. Your identity will always draw you to your purpose. Number two, um, don't be afraid to try anything new. And by that, there's things that you know you are strong at. You are good at doing those things, but you're afraid to even get started. Take a leap of faith. You never know what to be on the other side of obedience. The third thing is um, do things that you love for yourself. You know, there's things that you enjoy doing. It might be working out. It might be reading. um, It might be baking or cooking. I love my plants. I find them therapeutic. Have something that, you know, fills you up away from people, something that you just love and enjoy doing on your own. That's very important, you know, for for self-healing away from everyone else. Um, The fourth thing is invest in people. I think uh, people have done more for me when I've invested in wholesome relationships as opposed to what I can get out of them. When you just invest in relationships, not for what you're able to derive from them, but because you value people, 
you'll be amazed at what people will be able to do because they understand that you value them. Part of this event that I'm having is because a very good friend of mine happened to be in a room with one of the speakers. I wasn't in the room, but she spoke on my behalf and she's coming to Zambia for that reason. But all that is because there was an investment that was made in a friendship, an investment where like you communicate your dreams, someone that some people that you're honest with, people that you're accountable to, you know, people that grow you and sharpen you. Iron sharpens iron, invest in people. But I'll qualify that by saying invest in the right people, because again, the wrong people can take away from you as opposed to building you up. And the last one, really love God. That one needs an explanation. <laughs> Thank you very much for, for making time to come to the podcast. Uh, we wish you all the success with your event. I Thank wish I could so attend, much. but you guys are very yeah. discriminatory. You said yeah. you're not women. We're thinking about you, though. Yeah, we're thinking about the men. Want to come on network also? Yes. No, I'm thinking about you. <laughs> we, 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 we've got something in the pipeline. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we will come through as and when you organize our one. But yeah. thank you so much for the time. Um, thank you for wish having you all the me. Best. You've grilled me, but it was great. Nah, it was a conversation really. And I've, <laughs> yeah, I've no, picked up was, so much from was, you. It was. Um, and I know that it was good value for the people that watched. Um, and I know that people will come back and they will come back. There's just that conversation. You just keep coming back. And and this was one of those. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much. All the best. Thank you um, so All much. the best with your event. All the best with your podcast. All the best with Truth Tea. All the best with everything that you do. And may it just, you know, turn into gold when you touch it. Amen to so that. thank you. Thank you for the time. Thanks, Sui. It's been awesome. All right. <laughs>